Amen. The Bible says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And worship and praise are such a good and powerful part of growing in the joy of the Lord. I told you, and that those of you that were in the early service, uh, that my daughter, Kara, just, uh, just gave birth to a new baby this week on Thursday, a little girl, Nora Joy, our second grandchild. And we are excited for a number of reasons, and I'll take just a moment to tell you a little bit about it. She really is uh, quite a bit of a miracle baby. Um, when we first got the word, it was, I believe, November. It was the week of Thanksgiving, and I remember my daughter set it up in an interesting way. Usually we go uh, to North Georgia with our family for the week of Thanksgiving, and we're up there, and we're trying to take a family picture with our two-year-old grandson. You know what that's like, to, to get them in the right shot. And it was funny because I was trying to get him to laugh. So every picture that we would try to take, I had such a goofy face by the time he laughed that I looked ridiculous. So we took, we have all these hilarious photos. Finally, we got like one where Ricky was, you know, looking, smiling, and, and uh, we went with it. Not everybody was pleased with their expression, but, you know, we just had to make the call and go with it. Well, right when we took the last picture, Kara shouted out, we've got to add one more to the picture next year. And she sprung it on us right there that she was going to have a baby. So we, you know, Pam started crying. We celebrated and all of that. So we were excited into the Christmas holidays. And then sometime right after Christmas, uh, Kara had been going in and beginning to get more ultrasounds. And then suddenly they began to notice spots, uh, what they call bright spots on the baby. Uh, calcifications that usually are an indicator of some kind of a, a virus. And obviously, it's one thing for we adults to get a virus. It's another thing for a, a little preborn baby uh, in the womb to, to get a virus. And the doctors, you know, began to just prepare Kara and tell her that it could be one of a number of things, but that they were quite sure from all these symptoms that she was going to be a baby that has something called CMV. Some of you are familiar with that. I believe about one out of every 200 babies deals with it, but it can lead to birth defects, several different challenges and issues. So that they noticed. They also noticed other issues with the flow of fluid in the the uh, umbilical cord, uh, other concerns that they had, skeletal concerns, other issues, just one thing after another. Well, uh, the, one of the doctors at that point said, you know, you don't have to keep this baby. You're at a point that you really don't necessarily have to keep it. You do have options. And she said, well, of, of course we're going to keep this baby. And uh, then later on, a couple of weeks later, the same doctor uh, talked to her and said, well, you know, whatever happens, you made your decision. It's too late now. And I thought, my goodness, you know, just that, that kind of tone uh, coming from a doctor to somebody, and it just was challenging and difficult and overwhelming for her. So we did a lot of encouraging and trying to pray for her because, you see, Kara uh, is our daughter who has probably been the most joyous of all of our kids. She just is like her middle name is literally Joy. Uh, when she was born, we picked the name Kara, K-A-R-A, and I still remember we had trouble picking out her middle name. 
So she had already been born, and like a day later, I'm driving back to the hospital to see Pam and the baby again, and was praying about it. I thought, I think joy would be great. And I told Pam, let's go with joy. What do you think? She said, sure. And sure enough, Kara's been like a a bundle of joy. You know, 99% of the time, she's way up. When she's down, she's way down, but it's rare. And uh, she's the little girl. Some of you might have heard me tell the story before of when one of my daughters was four years old. This was Kara, blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm driving in the car. She's looking out the window, and she's just quiet. And I'm wondering what's going on in her mind because she was never quiet. (laughs) She talked all the time. And so I got curious, and I had to ask the question. So I said, I said, Kara, she said, huh? I said, what are you thinking about right now? And I kid you not. She turned and looked at me. She said, I'm thinking that you're handsome. (laughs) I just about had a car accident, you know? Those were her exact words, just like that, just that quick. I'm thinking that you're handsome. She was spunky like that. Totally caught me off guard. So, I mean, we laughed so much about that. My wife and I did. I told her later about it. And so over the years, I played on that all the time. Like I would, when it got quiet ever, I'd say, hey, Kara, what do you think about, oh, that my dad's handsome. When she went off to college, I would text her, how's things going? Uh, do you need, you know, any, any help with things or whatever? And then at the end, the sign-off was almost always, so what are you thinking about right now? Oh, that my dad's handsome. So, you know, just a little ego stroke, you know. So even when uh, she got married five years ago, uh, I was over here at Victory's Chapel. Uh, not only did I walk her in, I married her. So I walked her down the aisle, and then I changed places with my father-in-law who started the wedding, and then I married the two of them, Karen and Rick. Well, we're outside the door just getting ready to go in. The music's playing, and it hit me. I thought, I've got to ask her one more time. <laughs> so, you know, she looked beautiful, had this beautiful wedding dress on. So I looked at Kara. I said, I said, Kara. She said, yeah, Dad. And she's just full of so much emotion. I said, what are you thinking about right now? She said, oh, Dad, I'm just so happy. I'm so glad that I'm having my wedding and everything's just going. And she just is like crying. And and I said, you're not thinking that I'm handsome? (laughs) So I knew that, you know, it was a new season now. But this is the Kara who uh, just gave birth to a baby a couple of days ago. So then the early part of the year when we began to find out about these troubles, you know as a parent you're concerned for your child. Because then I realized that my daughter is facing a giant, as we talked about this morning, that she's never faced before. And a giant that is secretly hidden within her, that only God can really fully see, even with the ultrasounds and everything, only God can really fully see. You knit me together in the secret place. When I was in my mother's womb, your eyes saw my unformed body, Psalm 139 says. So dads, you know how it is if you have a daughter, you're trying to encourage her, you're praying for her, you're calling her, you're like concerned about her. Because she she has this little two-year-old boy, Ricky, who's a bundle of energy, he's enthusiastic like his mom, and she sort of entertains him all the time. And I thought, what's it going to be like for her? And I knew she was dealing with depression and discouragement and Why is this going on? How do I deal with this? So it became very, very challenging. And the doctors are doing everything they could. They put her at high risk, getting us ready for this. Just just be ready. It could be this, this, this. And they all said, but it's something. Something's wrong. So 
as she began to prepare, we would look for every little bit of hope. And we had people praying. People all over the world have been praying for her. It's amazed us how many people have caught onto it and will even contact us to say, how, she's do- how is she doing? One lady up in New England that has just called her almost every day since she found out, checking in with her, how are you doing today? How are you doing today? How can I pray for you today? It's just been beautiful, the support. So the, the giant has revealed all kinds of beauty when it comes to the blessing of, of people that love you and care for you. So when the, the baby was born, you know, we, we all were sort of praying and holding our breath. And there were 12 doctors and nurses in the room with her this past Thursday uh, because of her being in the high-risk category. And when the baby was born, she came out, little Nora Joy, three pounds, 11 ounces. She's a little peanut, she's tiny. Three pounds, 11 ounces, but just perfect in every imaginable way. And it was so amazing, so amazing that the doctors and nurses in the room, my wife was in the room and Pamela said, they, you literally heard a, a gasp among them. They said, she looks wonderful. She looks so good. We're amazed. Today, when I was preaching about giants and overcoming them in Jesus' name, little did I know that while I was preaching, the doctor was meeting with my daughter, Kara, and said, we ran all the CMV tests, and we cannot understand this, but we cannot find one bit of evidence of CMV. (laughs) Praise God. Not one bit. And so Kara said, Dad, would you like me to send you the text? She said, I've been texting one of my other doctors who's familiar with the test and everything that's going on. And Kara said, you know, we're getting all these good reports, but we do have this this test. Could you tell me more about it? Is there an explanation for it? And the I have the text right here. The very end of the text says, basically says this. We could try to place it in a number of different categories but I wouldn't place my money on any of those things now. I'm leaning towards that we may never know and that the Lord has touched her. That was our doctor that said that. So that just came in a little while ago. So we have, you know, we have reason to rejoice, reason to praise God and to thank Him. But let me tell you what, getting a report like that is a lot easier praising God than the earlier part of this process. Some of you are walking through something right now and it it doesn't feel like there's a lot of reason to rejoice. It's hard to find a reason to rejoice. It's hard to find, well, well, what do I do? And I wanna talk tonight because I really believe God has used something in Kara's life that he uses in so many other people's life to get them through. It's the one thing that can get you through anything. One writer, said this, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. That they would be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. (laughs) That sounds like quite a plan for your life, doesn't it? But you know, the Bible talks about how we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. The peace that passes all what? understand the peace that doesn't make any sense. Times when you have peace and it's like, I look at my circumstances, I shouldn't have peace, but I have peace. I have this sense 
My anchor holds within the veil. The veil is talking about that innermost part of the the tabernacle, the holy of holies. Behind the veil where the presence of God is, it's like a ship dropping anchor and it searches and it searches, but the best place to lock in is the presence of God. You know, sometimes we need to learn to practice the presence of God. Say, well, how do you do that? Is there like a room in the church where you go do that? You know, how do you practice the presence of God? You just find a place to get still. And you say, Lord, I I just praise you for who you are. And I need your presence right now. I need your presence more than I need anything. Would you just come? Open me up to you and open yourself up to me. Maybe you need to lay on your face or sit some quiet place or go sit. I, I talked to a young man last week walking through some challenges. He said, said, you know, I just went over to the lake the other day and I put on the new Hillsong Worship album and I just looked at the beauty and I just, I just listened. He said, my heart was so full, so full. I said, man, God bless you for doing that because you're practicing the presence of God. You're making room in your busy world for God. <laughs> Be still and know that I am God. You know, I challenge students when I train young pastors Don't fill every moment so full of every service you do that there's no room for just God to come and do what He wants to do. In our own lives, don't fill your day. Make some moments for God in your day. Some of you, even in your workplace, in the middle of your business, in the middle of, you need at some point to say, you know what? I just need to go take a three-minute prayer walk. I need to just walk around the building and just say, God, I need you in this decision. I'm making it work. I need, because I'm feeling anxious. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything and present your request to God and the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise of God. A promise of God that we need in our lives. The peace of God. You know, people talk about, uh, about God's grace. Well, let me show you a couple of pictures. Here's a picture of Nora Joy. See if we can pop that up there and see that. So you see what she looks like. That's Nora. All three pounds, 11 ounces of her. Beautiful little girl. And then the next one, I think, is Kara, like a day or two ago, holding her. Little baby, so excited. And Kara, the morning after the baby was born, Kara was already up walking around to the cafe um, with her husband. And then I believe there's one more of the neonatal um, where she's there and you know she's getting, getting some assistance. But all the signs are looking really, really so amazingly encouraging. So we're grateful to God. And you know what? I don't say that to say that it couldn't have gone another way. Because there are times when it does. And some of you are here and you're like, well, I've, I've experienced something different than that. And that's why I'm saying we have, we have a pretty easy reason to rejoice tonight. But the real test of joy is when things don't appear to be going the way we want them to go. That's when joy becomes something different than what we might have thought it should be. You know, I know Christians are supposed to be joyful people, right? I mean, to be a A sad Christian, isn't that an oxymoron? But are there not people that when they walk in the room, it feels like the lights brighten up just a little bit? (laughs) 
They just have this joy, this consistency about them, and it's like somebody just turns the lights up a little bit. And there are other people that walk in the room, and it's like somebody turns the lights down a little bit or shuts them off. There are some people that tend to enjoy messing with your joy. You know, the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Let me, let me tell you, how do you know the difference between a friend and an enemy? A friend is someone who rejoices when you rejoice. They weep when you weep. An enemy is someone who rejoices when you weep. And they weep when you rejoice. Now, I'm not, my, I'm not on a mission to cause people to get enemies. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But an enemy, according to Jesus, is someone who doesn't have your best interest in mind. And that you will have personalities that are challenging in your world. Uh, there's always that proverbial Thanksgiving dinner where there's some weird relative, you know, and you've got something to deal with and you're dreading dealing with that awkward thing. And it's ch- some, of, some people today in the room, when I said, what's your giant? They thought of a family member, sad to say, but they did. So I know that as a Christian, you're supposed to have joy. And years ago, I, I really thought about this a good bit. And I thought, I want to be a person who is consistently joyful. I want to be like that. I want to be a person who has a temperament that other people can count on that's consistent. And I thought, well, that's going to require something different than just looking for feeling good. Like, what makes you feel joyful? You know, with me, the the Red Sox winning the World Series when I was pastoring in New England, that made me feel pretty joyful. I pastored up there when they finally won, and so many people felt joy. That city just exploded with joy. It was really easy to feel joyful. The 80-some years before then... (laughs) is a little more challenging to feel joy. But you see, joy is not something you get. It's something you grow. You might want to write that down. Joy is not something you get. It's something you grow. It's something you cultivate in your life and in your spirit. It's not just something you wait for joy to hit you. It's something you grow and develop, and you and I have the capacity to do that. But they're joy robbers in life. So I had a few questions. One, one is, is joy something that I should just wait for? Will it come upon me? How can I suddenly have the emotion of joy? According to the Bible, how can joy be cultivated? To put it briefly, are there things that I could do to work on my joy? This might be a better message for a Wednesday night, Pastor Dan, the middle of the week, you know, working on your joy. Would you say at times there's an absence of joy among some Christians? You know, uh, Christians that have become soured and embittered over things, and they don't exude joy. I believe the nature of God, if, if by some miraculous work God would allow us a peak into the Trinity tonight, we would find the most perfect circular relationship dynamic of love among the members of the Trinity and joy, incredible joy among the Trinity. You take every joy that's ever been experienced in the world and multiply it over and over and over, you don't even come close to the joy that is God. The Bible said Jesus, how did he get through the 
through the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was joy that got Jesus through the cross. It's joy that can get you through your challenge. But you've got to work on your joy. Don't wait for the challenge and hope you have the joy. Work on the joy now. Trust me, there are a lot of people around you that would like you to work on your joy. You know, someone has said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And somebody else said, if papa ain't happy, nobody cares. (laughs) Well, I would say both of them need to work on the atmosphere of the home. There's a responsibility that we share. The atmosphere of our world and your, your management of your work environments and other places. Your joy can affect the, the, the sense, the mood of that workplace and can represent Jesus in such an amazing way. Kara told me today, she said, when I was talking to my doctor on the phone, Dad, she said, I'm, I'm sorry I texted you so late. And the doctor said, oh, don't worry. She said, I was up late watching TV. She said, it's the only time I get to relax. I have such a busy schedule as a doctor. I was watching, I was binge watching my favorite TV program, Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. And then the doctor said this, but I want to tell you, the last couple of years have been really challenging for me in a lot of different ways that you don't know about. But you and your husband walking with you through this has really helped me in so many ways. I'm like, your doctor said you've helped her? Yeah, Dad, my doctor said that we've helped her. She said, I think maybe we've ministered to her a little bit. So you see, you don't know who's watching when you're walking through challenges, and you're so preoccupied with your challenge that you can't always see the people that are watching, but they're watching. And if even one is watching, it matters. It matters. And they are. So I made up my mind... I wanted to be a joyful Christian. This morning we talked about why. Why should we be victorious? Because Jesus is the overcomer. And he overcomes every every dark force and every enemy. Tonight is about the how. How do we do that? You see, God's not going to force you to be joyful. He won't won't force you to be joyful. You know, those those are not compatible, forcing someone. Can you imagine forcing your child to be joyful? They're going to dig their heels in even more. You will be excited about this gift that you don't like, you know. <laughs> Ever given one of your kids a gift at Christmas and you didn't get the reaction you were hoping for? That's a tough moment. There's some big joy robbers in our world today. One of them is comparison, comparing ourselves to others. That will rob you of joy. Another is envy, envying others. And another one is discontent. You see, when you live in an age where you can go to Instagram and look at the high points of all these people's lives, all the superlative moments when they achieved this and got this job opportunity, and got to visit this place in the world, this beautiful place, and were honored in this way, and that way, and that way, and you look at their world, and you say, man, they've got the kind of life that I wish I had. I'm dealing with all these difficult, tough things. Well, let me tell you what, they are too. They're just not putting them on Instagram. That's more of a serious challenge for young people than we know. 
Uh, there's a serious increase in anxiety issues among teenagers, millennials today, but also Generation Z, the younger generation that is emerging. Uh, issues with depression and anxiety, the use of, of anti-depression medication has Zoom is skyrocketed since the recession in America. Now let me just qualify this. There are real situations, I believe, where there are chemical challenges that require medication. And I believe in those settings, they become a gift of God. But I would certainly say, if you're discouraged, the first place to go is not to a medication. It's to meditation. Meditation on the Word of God. Even if you have to utilize medication, and that's a clinical uh, diagnosis from a doctor, don't miss the meditation of the Word of God. Soak it up. You know, I wish, I so wish that I could have had an opportunity to speak into the lives of people like a Robin Williams a few years ago, or an Anthony Bourdain, or a Kate Spade. You know, we've looked at these situations and we've all wondered, my goodness, Anthony Bourdain. You know, a couple of my kids will say, this guy was living the life, Dad. Traveling the world, city to city with a camera crew, getting to go to every city he wanted, going to every restaurant, just enjoying the life everywhere he went. But it wasn't enough. Kate Spade becoming a fashion icon, celebrated all over the world in multiple ways. Women carrying her uh, purses and other items that she's designed and others all over the world. It wasn't enough. And in the midst of this, one of the most hilarious comics that the world has ever seen with a mind, you know, if you just look at that one sequence of the genie in the Aladdin movie, you're like, this guy's just got a different kind of mind. And he was, he was hilarious but somehow tortured in his soul. Now, God only knows all the details around it, and I, do, I would not propose to, to psychoanalyze any one of them. I just speak from the heart of somebody that says, how I wish to God that somebody had been able to intersect their lives and to speak into their heart and to speak to them. You know, Steve Jobs, when he was a teenager, and this is written about in his, in his biography, Steve Jobs, when he was a teenager, was in a Sunday school class in a Christian church, and he raised his hand and asked the teacher, how could there be a loving God in a world with so much suffering? And you know what the teacher said? Some things are just mysteries we're not able to understand. We just have to accept them. And he said, and I knew right then that I was done with Christianity. Because it's almost like my why question was overlooked. And I was almost told, you just shut up and accept it. That's not the way to deal with teenagers' why questions. <laughs> we need to feel what they're feeling a bit. We need to empathize with them. We need to help them walk through. We need to, walk. We need to weep with those that weep so that we can get them to a place where they can rejoice in God. So, one of the scriptures that has challenged me for years, you know, what would it be like to be such a successful warrior in ancient days that you conquered city after city after city. I mean, there are games and video games and all kinds of things where people role play and imagine conquering the world. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 32, he that rules his own spirit 
is better than he that takes a city. He that rules his own spirit is better than he that takes a city. So what, what does that mean? It means it's more challenging to rule your own mood and your own emotions than it would be to even conquer a city. So now that you know God has purchased the price of forgiveness and salvation and joy, now it's ours to take hold of it and to use it and to practice it. So the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now that is in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Some of you will remember a chorus that we used to sing, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we'd celebrate, clap our hands, and rejoice over that joy. Well, that was written to a man who one day found out that his city, his home city, although the temple had been rebuilt, the walls were still in disrepair. The walls of protection were in disrepair around the city of Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt by Ezra, but the walls were still in shambles. The walls had been built to protect the people in the city. They were there for a purpose. And in one sense, the walls represented the strength of the city. Another way of looking at it would say the walls represented the personality of the city. Now, this is something somebody helped me see a number of years ago. So think of it this way. Here's Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt, but the personality of the city is in disrepair. It's like you and me. We've been saved, but you can still have aspects of your person that are in disrepair. Things that people have said, things that have been done, abuses that you have walked through, hurts that you have dealt with, you're saved but the walls are broken down. The walls are maybe in ruins or they've crumbled and you don't feel strong, you don't feel protected, you don't feel safe. You know Jesus loves you, you know he died for you, but you don't feel joy. So Nehemiah, when he found out of the disrepair and that the city was depressed, he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And he went to him and he asked him, would you let me go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls? And Artaxerxes in Persia permitted him to go back and even gave him letters of authority so that if anyone tried to stop him, he would see that the king has said, you're authorized to go back and rebuild the walls of the city. Nehemiah led construction teams made up of family units and rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days. And he did it while a group of marauders went up and tried to pull him down and tried to irritate him and stop him. You're never going to rebuild that wall. So much so that the book of Nehemiah says that Nehemiah had to have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. He had to have one tool to build the wall and to keep his sword handy to fight off those that were going against him. Doesn't that kind of look like life sometimes? You're building and you're fighting off. <laughs> you're resisting and you're building. You're building and you're resisting. You're, you're building something up for God's glory, but you're fighting something off that's trying to keep you away from it. And do you know what the secret rule was that Nehemiah gave them? Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Okay, people, as we rebuild these walls, let's don't lose our joy. Let's keep, let's stay encouraged. Let's build ourselves up in the Lord. You know, the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David learned how to encourage himself in the Lord, how to build himself up. 
you look at the, the, how he expanded the kingdom of Israel is amazing. When you read the dimensions of it and all that he did and how God used him, it's amazing. David knew how to build himself up in the Lord. This is part of what we have to do to walk effectively for God through the opportunities and challenges that we have today. So how do we do that? Well, joy is more than an emotion. Joy is a discipline. Look at somebody next to you and say, joy is a discipline. It's a choice. You know, choice. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. You know, happiness is a feeling, but joy is something more substantial. It's rooted more deeply within your person. It's a discipline that must be cultivated in practice. You say, well, how? If, if I were a medical doctor, a Christian psychiatrist, and you asked me, what's the first prescription that you would give me for in, increasing my joy? I would not say, let's start with a medication. I would say, let's start with the Word of God. Let's start here. And I'm going to give you a few. If you have a piece of paper, you're going to want to write these down because they, they literally are things that you can do. I mean, I'm talking about a real prescription. I'm going to tell you seven short things, just two words each, that can help you work on your joy. Literally. I'm not talking about just some, some affirming, ethereal, inspirational talk. I'm talking about some substantial things that you can do that will literally increase your joy and your experience of joy. And I'm telling you again, this is not just for you. This is for the people that are around you. They're hoping that you're listening right now. Some of them are here saying, oh my goodness, Dr. Crosby's preaching on joy. My prayers have been answered. <laughs> there might be some more joy in, in my spouse or in this child or in whatever the experience is. And every, could, let me ask you, could every home use a little more joy? Come on. You know, the enemy, God wants to display his glory throughout the earth through families. The blessing that God promised Abraham is you will be a blessing to the families of the nations of the earth. So what does Satan want to mess with? Families. He wants to bring confusion, disruption. Have you ever gotten an argument with your family on the way to church? No, 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 no. Never. Real world, you know? Joy, this challenge so often. So, first of all, on your list, number one, joy reads. Joy reads. Now, some of you might say, I don't like to read. Well, they've made this new thing now called audiobooks, and it's really exploding in the publishing world. But listen to what the Scripture says about reading. Psalm 19.8 the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord bring joy to the heart. That's Psalm 19.8. Psalm 119.14. I have rejoiced in your decrees as much as riches. In other words, if you check your banking account or your investment account and you're like, oh, this is good. Or it's challenging. You can check your spiritual account and the Word of God. It'll bring joy to you every time. Look at what's given. 
Paul said to the Ephesians, I pray that you would know the inheritance that you have in God. It's amazing. Uh, Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice in your word like one who finds a great treasure. So this is not just called Bible reading, it's called treasure hunting. Treasure hunting, oh wow, look at that. I remember when I was reading the book of Jonah one day, and I found a nugget in Jonah. I think it's Jonah 2.4. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Listen to that. Those who cling to worthless idols, you hold on to things that you want, you're forfeiting grace that that hand could be full of because you're holding on to your idol. So let go of the idol, start grabbing hold of the grace. That when I, I, saw, I thought I've never heard a sermon preached on that. And actually, I've never preached a sermon on that. I guess maybe I am tonight. There's grace that much of the world never tastes because it's holding on to idols. I'm like, wow, that's, God, what idol do I need to let go of so I can capture the grace? Secondly, joy, uh, where's Randy? Joy sings. Joy sings. Every person that's ever done worship will say, amen. Oh, come on. They will say, amen. amen. I should have you sing it. <laughs> uh, joy sings. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Have you ever learned a worship chorus here at Victory and you found yourself sort of humming it the next day and, the, and looking for it on YouTube and humming it and it's wow, that to me, when that happens, that's just a blessing because you're given a joy tool to work on your joy. And you sing it even if it's off key, you just sing it because it's beautiful in God's ears. Joy sings, it sings. You know, even with the vocal challenges I've had over the years, my, my first like 20 years of, of ministry, every church I went to, I would end up being not only a pastor, but the worship leader on Sunday mornings. And they found out that I love music, I did it with my youth group and all that, and invariably the pastors would end up putting me in that spot. So they sort of got that no extra charge, Dan, you know, thrown in for the package, but I always loved it, loved doing it. And uh, so I was training a young man at a, in another state, and one night I said, you know, a couple of weeks before, this Sunday night I want you to lead worship. That worship leader's name was also Randy. And I said, I want you to lead worship. Well, the funniest thing happened. Randy, he was nervous because he'd never led on his own. He'd always been a part of our team. And I'm like, you're ready. You're ready to lead on your own. So let's do it on a Sunday night. And uh, so he did. And we had a team that had just gotten back from the Philippines, a missions team. So they had just shared their testimonies. So Randy gets up and he leads a chorus and then he goes to the next chorus. And right, right after that, he prays. And when he prayed, he got a little confused. He said, Lord, we just praise you. We praise you for, for what you're doing and for these people that just shared. And we, we thank you for allowing us, Lord, to minister to the Philistines. <laughs> and you could tell he was stuck. He said, Lord, we love the Philistines. You could tell he knew something was wrong. God, we praise you for the Philistines. And they were able to go minister to them. And I'm on the front row with the rest of the staff. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to hold on to it. He's just worshiping God for how they were able to visit the Philistines. And then he prayed about some other stuff. And then later on, you could tell he wanted to correct the prayer. So he came back to it again. He said, and Lord, 
Lastly, just again, we just want to praise you for allowing us to minister to the Philippians, God. We love the Philippians. We know that you have made the Philippians and that you allowed us to go to minister. I'll tell you, I am doubled over. And I leaned over, I have to admit it, I leaned over to another staff member friend, uh, Pastor Dan. I said, I said, doggone it, he's gone from the Old Testament to the New. He's still got it wrong. <laughs> but he became a wonderful worship leader, and we laughed. He laughed about it. You know, uh, I would share it if he was here tonight. I mean, it's, but it was just a moment. Joy sings. Sing. How long has it been since you just sang on your own to the Lord? Man, turn off that other music for a little while and just sing to God. Make up a song. Celebrate. Sing about Jesus and what he's like. Let that fill your mind. I'm telling you, it'll work on your joy. Last week when I heard that chorus, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Something just hit my spirit and exploded in me. I thought, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Nothing can stop the Lord Almighty. No challenge, no weapon, no giant. Joy gives. Joy gives. Pastor Dan read this morning that beautiful passage on the joy of giving, to excel in this grace of giving. There's something joyful about it. 2 Corinthians 8, now I want to tell you, dear friends, what God in His kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. Now imagine that, joy and poverty could you have joy in the middle of poverty? Uh, have you guys ever had um, the African Children's Choir here? First time we had them at the church in Boston. After that experience was over, people stayed around in the church because there was like a presence of God in the room. And I'm telling you, I had church members that were saying, what just happened? God was here in an amazing way. And one of my board members said, you know, Pastor, he said, I think it may be that they have so much of God because they have so little of anything else. And man, that challenged me. That just challenged me. It doesn't mean you can't have things and have God, but I think you have to work at it more. I think you might have to work at it more. We need to lose. It, and the Bible talks about that poverty of spirit where we say, Lord, I need you. I need your joy. Joy communes. Joy communes. That means you, we connect with other people. There's something about the joy of being around other people of like faith that God loves. God invades those moments when we're together in unity. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, for there does God command his blessing, even life forevermore. C.S. Lewis, the great writer of Chronicles of Narnia, Space Trilogy, so many incredible books. He, he was an atheist and he became a believer. Uh, later in life, he met a woman that he built a friendship with. She was from America and they had a very intellectual relationship. Talked a lot and then he fell in love with her. She contracted cancer, he walked with her through it, but her name was Joy, Joy Davidson. And it's a beautiful story to see how he walked through life with her for a, a few precious years of his life. Well, one of the things that he writes about in one of his most popular books, Mere Christianity, 
just I need to read it, and I want to put it on the screen, is this. Moods will change. Whatever view your reason takes. I know this by experience. Now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing, Christianity, looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. That is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or a sound atheist. Is that a quote? (laughs) Tell your moods where to get off. A mood comes on you. You tell it where to get off. I'm not going to dwell in this mood. My wife Pamela does a beautiful teaching called the why factor on this related to decision making and moods and how we have to take hold of them. She ministers to women on this subject, how we have to take hold of them and not let them rule our lives. That's true for men as well to take hold of those moods and to tell our moods where to get off. You know, there are times when I'll get irritable and my wife will say, when did you eat last? And I'll say, what do you mean when did I, because you seem a little irritable. No, that's not because, and I'll think, wait a minute, I didn't eat lunch yet. (laughs) And she knows, she knows. So joy, number five, meditates. I'm going to hurry through these. And let let me read this first, Proverbs 15, 15. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. A continual feast. So when you choose to have a happy heart, even in difficult circumstances, it doesn't have to mess with your joy. Because your joy is grounded in something that will never change, and that's the character of God. God doesn't wake up in a bad mood tomorrow. He wakes up being the same God that he was the day before. I'm glad that God doesn't function by his moodiness, but by his holiness. Joy meditates. Psalm 63, much of that chapter, but David talks about, you satisfy me more than the richest of foods. I praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. I think how much you've helped me. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I sing for joy. Think of that in the shadow of your wings. Just being under your wings, I sing for joy. It's like my daughter holding that little baby and singing over her. Joy serves. Serve the Lord with gladness. (laughs) That's a smart verse. Because you ever been around somebody that's serving the Lord without gladness? I would almost rather them not serve the Lord around me, if you know what I mean. Serve the Lord with gladness. Bring joy. And lastly, joy enjoys. Joy enjoys. So in other words, soak it up. The Bible says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we really believe that? Do you believe that even if your team doesn't win this season? In his presence is fullness of joy. Do you believe it even if your retirement account doesn't go up as many points as you hope it would this month? Do you believe it if things don't go well at work that in your presence is fullness of joy. Do you really believe that? Is it there? Can you find that joy even when those things are not going well? I totally believe that we can, that we can find that continual feast. We can find the joy that is in God. 
but it will require people who say, you know what? It's better to rule your spirit than to take a city. And when I stand before God, I'm not going to be able to answer for my wife's decisions related to God or even my children's. I'm going to have to answer for what I've done to invest in them. But I'm going to have to answer for yours truly. What have I done with what God has given to me? What fruit do I have to bring out of a life invested? Now, if we're Christians, we'll be saved. But we're going to go through a time where our works will be reviewed. And there are many wonderful things in Scripture that would lead you to believe that the service of God continues into eternity. And that to whom has been faithful with a few things will be master over many things. And there are many mysteries to that that I don't understand. But I understand enough to know that this time is important in what I do with it. And that God wants me to do it with joy. So, if you want to be someone that says, God, I want to rule my spirit as you rule me. And I want to live a life of joy. Just stand to your feet right where you are. Stand. I want to live a life of joy before you. I want to serve you. I know in your spirit there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're going to open these altars because there's some of you here tonight that your joy is low and you need it to be renewed in God and to come and to pray and to even make a commitment. You can do that right here at the altar. Some of you may choose just to pray right where you are, but tonight, the next few minutes, is just about sealing that commitment of joy before God and saying, Lord, help me to walk in joy. I determine to rule my spirit and not to let the things around me rule it, but for you to rule it. The scripture says at the end of it all, Jesus will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into his joy. So let's come and let's ask God to help us to work on our joy so that we represent Christ well, so that our hearts are full of his love, so that the people around us are more blessed. You may come to pray for the sake of your family, the sake of your friends, the sake of your workplace and the environment that it would reflect the heart of God and the joy of the Lord. Let's come, let's draw near to him. And then I'll come right back and we'll just close in prayer.
praise you that you're such an overcomer as we talked about this morning that there's no giant that you're afraid of you're strong the Lord is mighty in battle but full of joy full of so much joy and we praise you Lord because now we see in the word of God that it says you are able to even endure the cross the most horrid experience that anyone has ever or will ever endure and you endured it for the joy that was set before you. We can only imagine the joy, Jesus, that you are walking in now and that you are readying a, a place for us within that joy so that we can enter into that joy with you. We cannot wait. Would you help us to have a foretaste of it now? Would you help us to practice the presence of God now? Help us to rule our spirit now. Help us to open our heart up to you now to take hold of that for which you've taken hold of us now. In Jesus' name, to soak up the word of God, to not let it gather dust, but to let it grow life within us. That we would overcome the scripts of the enemy with the scriptures that you've given us and fire a torpedo into the, the center of the enemy's head and push him back in Jesus' name. Open our minds up to the wonder of who you are, this temple that we have to be able to meditate on you and to grow in the richness of God, that we would know the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Help us to know that, Lord. I pray blessing over every heart, every man, every woman, every father, every mom, husband, wife, grandfather, grandmother, every son and daughter in this room. The grace of God is there are people even right now that say, Jesus, I really want to please you. And there are times I say things that hurt people and I do things and I bring a mood into the room that I know doesn't please you. Would you help me, God? The biggest struggle I'm having is with those disciplines in my life. Would you help me, God? Lord, help them intervene. We speak peace over them and the joy of the Lord over them tonight. Help them to work on their joy by singing and serving and communing and enjoying and meditating and worshiping you and using these things so that the joy of God would be in us and not just enough joy for me, but enough to overflow and to be a blessing to somebody else around me in this moment. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Now look up here one moment just before you go. What if you were driving in a car with the Heavenly Father? And he looked at you and you're looking out the window saying, so what are you thinking about right now? What are you thinking about right now? You know, I cared in that moment about what my daughter was thinking about. I remember my son, the same thing happened a few years later. And Robbie's looking out the window and I said, hey, and I thought, I thought of that moment with Karen. I'm like, I've got to ask him. So I said, Rob, I said, what are you thinking about right now? And he looked at me and said, nothing. <laughs> I learned something about men in that moment, by the way. But I, I said, Rob, you must be thinking about like football or Batman or something. And I said, what are you thinking about? He like scowled his brow. He said, nothing. And he meant it. He wasn't thinking about anything. Uh, I was hoping he wasn't going to say, I'm thinking that you're handsome. <laughs> but what if the father 
said, what are you thinking about right now? You know what? I believe he is. I think he cares about that. And what, Lord, I'm thinking about is how wonderful you are, how powerful and limitless you are, how much joy there is in you, and how there's so much with all that I've been able to experience that there's so much more, and I just want more of you and what you have for me. So let your heart and mind be full of the joy of God. Walk in that joy. Live in it and share it with other people in real ways. Look for moments to draw a circle of joy around somebody's life this week. God bless you. Let's go in that joy tonight.